Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chirtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us again from Irvine is Christy Granhart, CEO of Spark Compliance Consulting and author of the newly published book, Your Year as a Wildly Effective Compliance Officer. And today we're going to be talking about being effective as a compliance officer. Christy, thanks for joining us. And let me just start right in by asking a question that really comes out of general what compliance people face, but also some of the ideas in your book. And that's that there are a lot of external barriers compliance professionals face, such as getting management support, resistance, mistrust, so forth. You, though, have noted that some of the barriers are internal. How do compliance people sometimes get in their own way and keep themselves from being as successful as they could be? Well, first of all, Adam, I am so delighted to be back. Thank you for having me. Um, internal blocks. Oh, thank you. Um, internal blocks are really challenging, and I think it's easier to see the external ones rather than feel the internal ones. Um, so the first thing to do is to really think about and trust your own value. Um, I think people frequently don't ask for what they need or even what they want because they assume that others at work will notice them or they'll notice their value so much that their resources will be proactively allocated to them. But that's frequently untrue. So you really need to make sure you describe your value by sharing how you and your department are adding value, but then ask for what you want. And um, that's really the best way to get it. And the second thing is imposter syndrome. So if you don't feel like you should be in the room, uh, whether that's the executive leadership meeting or the boardroom, you'll likely be quiet or try not to be seen, which is a huge mistake because you won't be seen as adding value if you say nothing. So one of my pieces of advice is to simply challenge yourself to say something at every meeting you attend so that there's a reason to invite you back and have you as a contributor. That's a, a very good, simple piece of advice for someone to take advantage of. Now, is it possible for people to map out a plan for personal success just like it is for you know mounting a successful initiative? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say it's imperative. Goal setting and timelines aren't just for projects like redrafting your code of conduct. Making a plan to grow yourself is absolutely key. So given that, what are the key areas to focus on? I think that there are several and making this plan holistic is really what's going to grow you say over the course of the year. So choose at least one initiative for yourself that deals with education. So maybe you choose to learn more about privacy, ESG, trade compliance, pick something so you can increase your skill set and marketability. And the second is choosing an area for personal growth. So that may be productivity, lessening procrastination, maybe focusing on getting more skilled and comfortable with public speaking, just something that will make you a more effective professional. Uh, and lastly, of course, commit to growing your network. Uh, making that plan concrete is really helpful and choosing an accomplishable or tangible goal, like I'm going to connect with five new people each month on LinkedIn, or I'm going to go to two in-person conferences this year, and follow, and follow up with at least four people afterward. Those kind of specifics will make it much more likely for you to do it. So create that holistic plan, one that focuses on education, personal development, and skill development, and then opening up your network. It's really going to help you be more successful as you go. And I'm really glad you mentioned that part about following up. I mean, it's relatively easy at a conference to meet people, 
The hard part is remembering to follow up with them afterwards. I mean, every year I do the speed networking. People love it. They love the connections they make. But getting them to follow up is difficult. That really is the key to turn networking from just a collection of cards that you manage to pick up to being a real asset for yourself. Now, let's look at the sort of negative flip side that everybody faces in compliance, but it's also just true in business is pushback and criticism. How should you handle pushback and criticism? I think one of the first things to remember is that somewhere between most and all of it isn't personal. So people push back against compliance initiatives when they feel that their freedom is being curtailed or that their time is being used in a way they simply don't feel is valuable. And that's okay. That isn't a criticism of you as a person. So I think depersonalizing criticism can really help with dealing with it. And once you've done that, really try not to be defensive. So if you find the root of the pushback and criticism, see if there's legitimacy to it. Um, if there's something that's legitimate, maybe the training is too long, maybe it is boring, try to shift your actions or perspective and respond to it. But if it's not legitimate, or if it is personal in a way that frankly is just personality driven, you just need to let that go because no one is ever going to like everyone or everything so you're going to be dealing with other humans and frankly that pushback and criticism is if it's useful to you fantastic if it's not don't pay attention to it and that often is hardest part for all of us to do in our lives is understand that it, it may not be about you now one issue we all face is turning off at the end of the day how do compliance people carve out enough time for themselves and make proper use of that time given the never-ending flow Oh man, it's such a hard thing to do. Um, I think I, like most compliance professionals, are passionate about our job, their jobs, so it can really be difficult to shut down at the end of the workday. Um, I think personally, the best thing that's, that I've done is to make plans and put them in my calendar. So um, as you may have seen on LinkedIn or any of the other socials, I have taken up aerial arts, which basically is flinging myself upside down to silks attached to the ceiling. Um, and I've got my classes booked and paid for at the beginning of every month. So number one, I've already committed to it, but number two, I don't allow myself to cancel and have decided that's what I'm going to do no matter how many work things feel stressful. Um, and likewise, I plan dinners with my families and friends and consciously choose to do that two, three, four, six weeks in advance because I have decided that my calendar is sacrosanct. So if it's on my calendar, I'm committed to it but committing to things that aren't just work meetings, but really committing to seeing family, seeing friends, and being reliable to myself to do what the calendar says and also to other people really makes it easier. So planning for fun and carrying out those plans, I think is a really good way to separate yourself from work. There's something to look forward to. Very much so. Um, <clears throat> I have to say it's for myself, you know, I used to get on my bike as soon as the day was done and we gave me cleared my head. Unfortunately, I fell off my bike and broke my elbow and now I get on my Peloton and it's <laughs> not as much time. And because of that, it's just not the same experience. And, you know, I need to find something else. Now, one of the problems though is you can put all that time in your calendar, book it for yourself. Then inevitably you look at the, your email, Teams message, Slack, whatever. Uh, and sending emails at all hours or reading emails at all hours can cause tremendous stress. What do you have in terms of ideas for managing your email schedule for yourself and for your team so you're not driving them crazy? I think part of it is 
also that idea of commitment of not opening up your email at all hours. I think that's the first thing is self-commitment to not doing that. Um, and once you have done that, you're training people that they don't have to look for your emails at all hours and you're not going to be responding at all hours. So I think the first thing is to model that behavior. But I love that Outlook now uh, asks you if you want to send emails at this time. They say, are you sure these people are off work right now? Which I think is wonderful because it's kind of that nudge, that behavioral theory nudge that says, are you sure you want to do that? And you have to think about it. Um, but I love the delay email feature. So if I'm on a weekend, sometimes Saturday mornings, finishing up uh, the stuff I need to do, I really try to push the delay uh, so that it, they don't get it. My team members don't get those until Monday morning. And uh, the last thing I'll say on that is I read a fascinating study. It was in the New York Times about uh, how people respond to the stress of getting emails in the evening or when they're doing something else, not at work, and that their blood pressure just shoots up. So one of the ways to manage that was to state in the email that they don't need an answer right away or tomorrow is fine or tell me by Tuesday because that allows people to have seen the email and say, right, I'll respond to that at a time that's not now and I don't have to divert myself or change my, my emotion out of whatever I'm doing right now. So make sure that if you're the one sending those emails after hours that either they're delayed or that they are put in place to uh, say, hey, this isn't necessary right now. And just to follow up on something you said for those not familiar with it, when you open up an email, if you click on the options tab, it'll give you an opportunity to indicate when the email should be delivered. Uh, I have to say I use that a lot being in California with most of my colleagues in Minneapolis. I don't want to be bombarding them with emails late in the day. So I just send them to go out first thing the next morning uh, so that it's not as stressful for them or, or for me. Cause a lot of times, you know, frankly, I think we all have to ask the question is yes, it's convenient to send the email now, but, um, if you do send it now, you may get an answer that you don't want to answer right now. Right. So because of that, it's best to try and schedule things more for office hours. Well, Christy, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. Good luck with your book, Your Year as a Wildly Effective Compliance Officer. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Schultel from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.